Hello and welcome to the Niche Podcast for Friday, March 22nd, 2013. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Kelly Shaver. And we're here to talk about building apps that run everywhere. This week, maintaining context in small screen apps, reconsidering jQuery for mobile projects, and preparing your content for the zombie apocalypse of smartwatches. Please stay tuned. The Niche Podcast is next. Musical interlude. (laughs) (laughs) How's it going? Uh, Pretty good. Cool. So you guys went bowling tonight? Yes. Yes, we did. Successfully bowled? Um, About as successfully as one would expect for a person who hasn't bowled in eight years. (laughs) But at least you got on the court or whatever it's called. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Kira, if Kira and I added our scores together, we would have barely beaten Richard, (laughs) which is, it's... Doubly sad because Richard's foot is in a cast right now. <laughs> oh, jeez. That's fairly pathetic. So, yeah. <laughs> we decided we need to, to go back more often and practice more. Yeah, and make sure it's not league night. Yeah. Oops. Yeah. Well, that's fun. I love bowling. It's, it's super fun. We used to do crazy bowl when I lived in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. It was kind of like, it was kind of like you're, I don't know, when we were kids, we used to play horse. It was like a basketball game. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's kind of the same thing with bowling where you get like a bunch of, you get like six people on the same alley or same lane, whatever it's called. And, uh, you know, it's like, okay, lefty or behind the back or, you know, yeah. <laughs> whatever. See who, uh, call the pins. Yeah, because there's always like there's always like a ringer there. Like my boss at the time, my boss was just like a crazy good bowler. Yeah, so it was no fun. So, <laughs> yeah, my my grandfather was was a really good bowler. Um, uh, Three hundred point games were not uncommon yeah. for him, and I clearly did not inherit that. <laughs> yeah, that's just not fun to bowl against. <laughs> Should be like golf. Yeah some kind of handicap so that was the that was the concept of the the behind the back between the legs with your left hand yeah no one's good at that (laughs) and we never got kicked out which is a miracle because we definitely bounced the uh (laughs) bounced the ball across multiple lanes more than once (laughs) yeah yeah the, the, the place we were we were at pretty good you know it was it was not crowded at all i think there were three other lanes in use tonight when we were there so yeah well kentucky got it got it out of its system last night so (laughs) yeah yeah it was packed last night when we went there (laughs) everyone for miles around (laughs) yeah who knew (laughs) should have checked the website yeah so yeah episode 49 you know what that means uh that means next week is episode 50. Exactly. And the dear listener gets to call us on our BS about somehow having a live broadcast. <laughs> <laughs> but we are working on it. And there is a pot, there's hope that we'll actually have a, a live broadcast of the podcast that yes. uh, the dear listener and friends can uh, listen along and chat, ask questions, and um, participate in the live event. Which, uh, currently, this could change, but right now the plan is that we'll be, um, I, th- I hope I checked with you first, I think I did, uh, <laughs> noon next Wednesday, noon Eastern time next Wednesday. Okay. I don't think you did, but that works for me. Okay. I probably didn't. I'm, I'm kind of a jerk like that. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but everyone knows that I won't stick to that time anyway, so what's the difference? Yeah. Recording at 10 p.m. Yeah, exactly. Broadcasting at 10 p.m. Yeah. <laughs> so, it, but but next week, I actually have to stick to it because we have our first ever guest scheduled. And it's a big one. And it's a big one. I'm extremely excited. Are you excited? Yes, I am. This is this is also something you did without asking me, I discussing know. it with me. So <laughs> I know. I'm such a, like, like, I just get so excited. I can't help myself. <laughs> well, I, there's no way I would have said no. I'm impulsive. Uh, yeah, so we talk all the time about um, making things accessible on the widest range of devices and all the different ways to do that. And one of the ways that we often 
advocate is responsive web design uh, for web apps so that they look pretty on mobile and tablet and desktop and TV and billboard and everything else. And we are going to be joined by Ethan Marcotte next week. The literally the well, I don't know, literally might not be the right word, but the father of responsive web design, the dude that actually coined the term should be awesome. Yeah, I cannot wait. So, yeah. uh, uh, but it is it's he, he has agreed to do it. So I, f- I feel like I, I don't feel uncomfortable announcing it now, but uh, the time is still up in the air. So um, follow us on Twitter or uh, uh uh, on the website on Friday, I hope to have an update by Friday so we can put that in this week's show notes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but generally, that we'll be talking about it in the general social social media sphere, so that people can uh, can log in next week, hopefully to a live version, and then also listen to it on Friday. Yeah. So very cool. So next week will be the fiftieth episode and a big, big responsive web design talk. That sounds great. Well, fingers crossed for the uh, the technology gods to smile on us. <laughs> we have all three of us recording our own ends just in case. Just in case, yeah. <laughs> Great. So uh, that is housekeeping. Do we have bug report this week? Uh, I don't have a bug. I have some silly cartoons, but I don't have any bugs. <laughs> that's Well, that's a little bit more housekeeping, actually. Yeah. So do you want to uh, share? Uh, yeah, I just I went back and I started adding some illustrations to uh, the episode pages on on the website. <laughs> awesome. I'm illust- I'm illustrating titles, so nice in in no particular order at all. Yes, which feeds into my secret, my deep dark secret of someday wanting to have a s- series of T-shirts that are illustrations of the titles. <laughs> so this someday we'll become rich and famous from our title t-shirts yeah <laughs> you can watch your you can walk around wearing your touch sensitive backside t-shirt <laughs> the carl is not pleased t-shirt carl is not pleased <laughs> <laughs> yeah i love that so <clears throat> excellent uh i've got a i've got a bug actually I don't know how interesting it'll be, so I'll keep it real short. But <laughs> we, uh, uh, I've been really leveling up on my Git chops the past couple weeks. Yes. Because I'm on a team project, and I am the geekiest guy on the team. So uh, <clears throat> so that it, it falls to me to get the, uh, the code repo set up, which is fine. Uh, I definitely know how to do that. Um, but I, I can't say that I've done it in a in a team environment where i've got like more than two people bashing away yeah usually just me and you yeah yeah almost always it's just me and you and it's kind of like and it's really more you or more me and it's not really a a simultaneous kind of thing so you don't have a lot of merge conflicts It's, it's just really not that much of a big deal um but also you know last week we we were talking about it at length about how i was trying to set up um auto deploy hooks so that as we were pushing to Git, it was updating client uh, the client site and the dev site so that people could be viewing the code live and not have to like go onto the server and mess around. We had all these permission problems and so on. And so the niche one, we set them up two different ways, the niche one and then the real client one. And the niche one, I used this kind of hacky but works approach where I had a, a the web hook from Git create a temp file in a world readable, writable directory on the machine. And then a cron job that ran as the user to actually do the Git pull every minute. So if that didn't make sense, you have to listen to last week's episode. Yeah. Yeah. Not going to describe it again, (laughs) (laughs) but it, it broke and I don't know how it broke. So I'm just not, I'm just going to throw that away and set it up. They, uh, Set it up the air quotes right way. Yeah. Pretend you never mentioned it. Pretend I, yeah. Forget I mentioned that. I really don't know what I did. I, it, there should be no reason why it wouldn't work, but it doesn't. So it yeah. stopped updating automatically. So now I'm just going to set it up so that the, 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 I'm going to take the plunge 
and set up the directory on the niche server so that I can't actually edit it directly. <laughs> I literally <laughs> would be way too much of a pain in the butt to edit it directly because it'll be owned by a user that I can't log in as. Yes. So, but we, I've been doing that for uh, uh, a week or so with the, uh, the other project site and there's one, two, three, four developers over there. So we've had all, you know, merge conflicts and we've got multiple branches and, and really kind of using Git the way it's supposed to be used. And it's really, really great. Once you have it set up, which takes an hour or so, um, it's really, really great. Yeah, I was working on a project today uh, with a friend of mine. And, um, you know, it's it's the one of the more extensive uses of Git that I've done in a while. And I mean, I use Git every day. But like you said, a lot of times it's just me or it's just me and you or it's with, you know, it's like more often just one of us. <clears throat> yeah. And um, so, yeah, just to be really like working together and, and collaborating on things through Git. It's just it's so super nice. Yeah. <laughs> just a reminder of how, how pleasant that experience is compared to the way it used to be. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a, it's just great. And it, it was really it really was driven home for me today because we had a big client meeting. There's this weekly client meeting on Wednesday and, and it's my job on Wednesday to um, talk to the project contact and say, okay, what changes are we going to merge from dev into master and say, you know, and today it was just like, everything's fine. Just merge, merge everything from dev to master. And so one of the other developers was sort of frantically doing last minute changes and, um, and he's, he's very new to Git. So he's using the, uh, I don't know what it's called. It's like the, the GitHub's own Mac OS client. Yeah. And he didn't really, you know, he was doing commits and he was putting the messages in and it was, it was very informative and super helpful, but he really didn't know what he was doing. I don't mm -hmm. think, I don't think he'd be embarrassed if I said that he's a, he is a self-confessed Git noob. And he said, uh, uh, at one point we were sort of going back and forth and he was like, Oh, he was like, Oh no, I hope I didn't overrate your changes. And I was like, it was like so funny. I was like, <laughs> you would have to try really hard yeah. <laughs> to overrate somebody's changes. Yeah. Once you're using Git, I was like, you know, so we're, we're chatting back and forth on Skype and I'm like, I'm like, the good news is, you would have to be a lot better at Git to actually overwrite my changes. <laughs> There's really no. You have to. You have to be better at it to screw something up. You can't screw it up when you're bad at it. Right? Isn't that interesting? <laughs> yeah, it is. You have to be pretty good at Git to 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 lose work. You have to really try. Yeah. You gotta want it. Yeah. You gotta like like pull that trigger, reload a couple times before you can shoot yourself in the foot. So anyhow, um, so that was the, I, I don't have really a, a bug report uh, sort of sort of fix other than to say that I'm just going to throw away the kind of hacky approach and go with a, a real uh, webhooks approach. So yeah. keep it it's up inter to in changes. interesting you mentioned the um, GitHub's uh, graphical client. Because mm. I downloaded that today, had, ne had, had never used it before. As you know, much prefer to do things from the command line. Mm-hmm. And I still think I'm going to just do all of the commits and, and manipulation of things from the command line just because it's faster and I'm a lot more familiar with it. But it is, it's nice to have the, the graphical interface just to go back there and, and browse things, browse past commits, whatever, without having to just to, to go to, to GitHub. Mm -hmm. So I do like that. Yep. I, I totally agree that there's, I, um, when I first learned Git, I was taught by someone who used the Git X, G-I-T-X okay. uh, client for doing his commits. Mm -hmm. So that was the way I learned how to do it. And it, I, I, it took me, actually it took me a while to really learn how to, to stage and do commits properly on the command line. I'm, pro I'm probably not even doing it right now, but <laughs> uh, at least I know how to do it. But, but there's really no, uh, I mean, like, when you're doing um uh when you're trying to basically do a diff mm -hmm. it's hard on the it's hard without like a gui tool there's a thing called i think it's called file merge on osx that does an amazing 
amazing job of diffing files and you know like if you want to if you fetch yeah. a remote you know fetch a remote and want to compare the changes before you actually merge them together it's it's really hard to do with the command line yeah like manipulating things i find it's a lot easier and faster to do from the command line to add and add and and comment and rebase update delete whatever you want to do but if i just want to browse through the repository and through the commit history just like for informational purposes mm-hmm. i like having the gui yeah yeah, it's pretty sweet. Yeah, it looks good. I mean, it's a gorgeous app. Yeah, yeah. I and I like. It, I also like having you know the notifications. Oh, what is it? I didn't even know it did that. What's that? Um, is it like? Yeah, you get like growl like notifications if someone pushes to <laughs> a repository you're what you're you're watching or or comments on an issue or that that sort of thing. Oh, so, sweet. You know, if you're watching too many of them, it can get kind of spammy. But yeah, you wouldn't want to be like working on the Linux kernel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like Chromium. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, Machine I have would a, melt. I have an OS ticket and a couple of other things in there. Nice, nice to see when things are happening to the code. Yeah. Cool. So, so Git, it's a good thing. A severe learning curve, I have to admit, but it is really worth it. Everyone I know that learned Git basically had their hand held by someone else. It's kind of like uh, you have to get you have to get gently introduced to it. Yeah. So let's see. So let's let's dive into the features. So you had a uh, uh, you have an intriguing teaser. Um, yeah, just a, a kind of little interesting sort of sort of conundrum that we've run across and a couple of different approaches we've taken to it. I'm just kinda of wondering what your thoughts were. Mm, cool. And that that is this this mobile app that I've been building. And I actually can show you the code for it now. I should do that. Um, oh cool. But uh, yeah this this mobile app I've been building, it's um I there are several screens where you end up doing things like drilling down through large lists to get to other bits of information and to edit things and 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 that sort of that sort of thing and we're just um, it's a really responsive app mm-hmm. and we're finding that sometimes you're it's almost like you're navigating through it too quickly and it's easy to sort of lose your place and confuse yourself and and, and all of that so it's I don't know I just find that on the small screen you end up switching views frequently mm-hmm. just because you can't put a, you can't put a lot on a on a screen that's right. on the phone right and <laughs> so when you're dealing with a lot of information in the app it's just it's presented some interesting challenges about how to uh how to navigate and move around through the application in a way that the um the the person using the app doesn't get lost right yeah it, i totally so i'm curious i mean i, I have bunch of general comments about this where um when i'm doing workshops one of the things i talk about is is picking the right navigation model for your app Mm -hmm. and uh you know apple pretty much nailed the touchscreen interface on a small device you know when the iphone first came out it was just like they just nailed it and it it looks a little long in the tooth now but it is very, very useful the way that they have things set up. So there are two big popular things that they uh, that have made their way into virtually every every productivity app, which is the kind of app you're talking about, mm-hmm. which are the uh, the tab bar controller, where you've got you know say three, four, or five, maybe six items along the the bottom bar. You know they're yeah. like and they're like adjacent modules of the application so they're not like in a hierarchy relative to each other they're just different views yeah yeah we have we have those we have those kind of tucked away in a drawer on ours because that main there is this one main view that you're using like 95 percent of the time Mm -hmm. but yeah it's the same kind of thing yeah and facebook kind of like facebook has created this new kind of tab bar concept where the drawer slides open from the left Mm-hmm. Or the, the 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 view that you're on slides to the right and reveals this 
list of you know content areas from underneath and it's really it's really the same concept as a tab bar but there's too many to fit yeah it just gives you more space right so that's like a similar model so that's one thing with the the other model that you're talking about um is very well represented by apple's uh navigation controller which if you ask me is way too generic name for what it is Hmm. but uh it is that sort of drill down that settings or itunes style drill down where you've got a list and you tap on it and maybe you go to another list and then you tap on that maybe you go to another list and you tap on that maybe you get to a detail view eventually yeah and the the and you know there's context is maintained in the user's mind uh, in a couple of ways Uh, first is the animations which i'm not a fan of adding animations gratuitously and a lot of people mm-hmm. a lot of people just add animations cuz they think it's cool yeah we don't have we don't have i don't think we have any animations in this yeah and and the the drill down animation going up and down the hierarchy i feel like that is one of the places where animation helps a lot to maintain mm-hmm. context um it's because you it gives a feeling of motion and a sense of place. I, I can't explain why it works, but but I know that when you don't have it, it gets a lot more confusing. So, uh, because you don't really know what direction you're, you don't have this intrinsic sense of what direction you're going, if you're going down or up. Yeah, yeah, it's it's something we've talked about, but um, on the other hand, just, I kind of have mixed feelings about it because I just, I really like the the sort of snappy performance that you get from the app now mm-hmm. and, yeah I, um, yeah that's the problem with animations is they're inherently they're slower than they yeah than they could be yeah they I make mean, navigation slower we, we've come up with a couple of a couple of other ways to sort of maintain place in place of having those those animations and um uh one of those for instance is if uh, say, for instance, you're scrolling down through a list, and the list may have 40 or 50 items in it. And say you scroll down toward the bottom of the list, and then you tap an item to go to view that item content. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got it set up so that when you when you back out of that screen and go back to the previous screen, it takes you to the same the same position in the list that you were originally. Yep. And. Um, that's it a big help, say, and it's tricky yeah. to do. In a, is this a web app or is it? Yeah, a, it's a web app. Yeah, that's really tricky to do in a web app. Yeah, it's a it's a web app, and it does the same thing after edit, or and after edit and after delete. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, if we're editing or adding a new item, uh, we'll just momentarily change the background of of that item when it comes up in the list. Just kind of like a sort of like a flash notice that that shows the the item. Yep. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, that's. Is there um, another thing that Apple does in their native nav controller is that they have almost like a abbreviated breadcrumbs concept in the toolbar at the top, where the page that you're on is generally the name of that page is in the title bar, and then if you drill down from that page, it becomes the label on the back button. The yeah, yeah, left. we have we have that in the in our our new new and edit screens actually do have um, do have breadcrumb at the top to show you where the records you're creating or editing exists. Mm-hmm. And then that sort of, that sort of nesting concept we do, we do have um, headings and, and subheadings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that goes a long way to helping. Um, there's a sort of new pattern that I've been seeing lately that I like a lot, uh, which is in the, the base camp, the native base camp app is a hybrid app that is a, pretty even 50 50 mix of native code and uh and web view code mm-hmm. uh, i'm talking about ios in this case and they do this thing where you'll be on a list view and if you tap on something in, in a detail view kind of uh it doesn't slide in it kind of like ro- almost rotates in like a slight rotation in mm-hmm. like flips into view kind of and it doesn't quite cover the underlying list oh yeah so you can just see this very like i'm gonna say it's like a four or five pixel reveal that shows the list that you tapped on right underneath it yeah so you can kind of kind of see sort of a stacking order like they do on the website now uh exactly yep exactly and 
And to go back, there's no back button or anything. You just swipe right, which is the opposite direction that it animated into view. So it's very intuitive. Uh, and and I don't know. I really I really like it. It would be brutal to program it. I, well, <laughs> maybe not brutal, but it would be it would be rough to program it uh, in a web app. Yeah. <clears throat> and the challenge for people who you know, for people, it, it doesn't. It's not obvious why this is really hard, but. Um, if you're a web programmer and you're dealing with any kind of page animations where you've got a, a transition from state A to state B that takes place over time and isn't instantaneous, then that means that y- there will be short periods of time when you're showing two pages at once. And that can screw up a lot of mm-hmm. things. So, for example, when I started working on uh, JQ Touch which was, you know, was like a, a kind of iOS-esque uh, jQuery plugin that created native-looking mobile web interfaces. Um, you know, we did this page sliding animation, the navigation controller animation, and, you know, you can't, all of a sudden, you can't use IDs on a page because you're going to use, you're going to have almost every, you're almost always going to have ID collisions. Yeah because you're going to have two pages showing at once when you never normally would have had that. Normally it would always be one page and then navigate to the next page and then you navigate to the next page and they never show at the same time. Yeah. Uh, So, which is why it's so hard to do. That's why I said it's so hard to, when you go back up a level to retain your position in a scrolled list, because if you, if you're just going to pop to that, if you're just going to pop up to that page and not animate, it's not as bad. But if you're going to slide into it, it's really hard because you have to, you have to somehow, like, if your two page heights are different, which they always mm-hmm. are, like, you can't, you can't know where to scroll because if you've got a detail, let's say you, you're at the very bottom of the list and then you go to a detail page that's larger than the window and you scroll down, the combination of the two pages next to each other is longer than either one yeah so if you go to animate back it'll be fine at first but then when the animation finishes the the first the the remaining page the one that's viewable is going to snap down because all of a sudden you removed the other length (laughs) it's so it sounds like it should be so easy but it's insanely complicated if if even it's potentially it's impossible to really do right yeah, that's one of the reasons we left out a lot of the animations is we just we just didn't feel like like the the animation effects were worth the additional time and effort that it would take to create them given that having them there also slows down the interaction. Mhm. And it drastically complicates the code and yeah. it's and it's uh, one of those things that's very difficult to do uh, well cross-platform. Mm-hmm. Even jQuery Mobile, which are probably some of the smartest web developers on the planet, the jQuery Mobile team, it's totally not dialed. It's it's really good and it's really robust and it works in lots of places, but it's it's janky sometimes. Yeah. So you know, it's yeah, I don't know. It, it's you're often in the same situation. People are often in the same situation that you are, which is like well, these animations would be nice because it would add context. It would, it would give a sense of place in the application. But is it worth the trade-off, which is, you know, jankiness, complex code, lots of debugging, blah, 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 blah. More to download, more JavaScript to download. Yeah, the whole thing. Yeah, all of a sudden yeah. everything's slower, not just the animations. So yeah. I, I tend to uh, default to no animations. Yeah. On a web app. Yeah, this is it's that's just, pretty much where we're at. We we have a couple of couple of scrolling animations in in a few places, but for the most part, that's that's what we've done. And so yeah, so we've had to come up with with other ways to sort of maintain state mm-hmm. or maintain place, right? So the user, sorry, so the person, <laughs> <laughs> the guest, the guest <laughs> does not get lost. Yeah. Yeah, it's tricky. It's one of those things. It's like always, um, it's a case by case thing. It always depends. Yeah. 
but yeah. there's no, I mean, probably the nicest library out there for this kind of thing that I'm aware of is Sencha Touch. Mm-hmm. And they made all kinds of trade-offs that are evil to make it work. Uh, not the least of which is blocking every non-WebKit browser from accessing it at all. <laughs> yes. Like not even no animations, just like, sorry, switch to a WebKit browser to yeah. use this app. Yeah. And the code base is huge. Yeah. And really hard to learn. So, you know, it's like, do you really, really need that slide? <laughs> you know? Yes, yes. I had um, had a discussion with someone today. They had um, a company approach him wanting him to build an application, and the company was, was dead set on, we want you to build this application in Sencha Touch. Mm. Yeah, I mean, the question is why. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so he was, we were we were discussing alternatives and, and other ways and, and things that he could, could sort of do to, to sell them on a, a better solution. Yeah, I mean, Sencha Touch is amazing. It's it, amazing. It is, and, you know, it's in, developed by an incredibly talented team of people. Yeah, no doubt. But it's like... For me, it's like perfect for web developers who are going to do a phone gap app for tablets. Exactly. Because then you you basically know you have WebKit and you know you're not going to have somebody in IE like navigating to the site. Yeah. But outside of that, I, I, I honestly, I can't bring myself to recommend it because of the WebKit restriction. Yeah. Although now that Opera is switching, <laughs> who's left? Windows, Internet Explorer. Uh, yeah, IE and Firefox, I guess. IE and Firefox, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it's a good tool for a particular job, but it's a very specific job. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, that's really interesting. I, I'd, be, I'd be curious if, uh, if the dear listener has comments about their experience with this or what they think about uh, maintaining context on the small screen. It'd be great to hear from you on Twitter. Yes. So speaking of JavaScript libraries, as you know, I am a, uh, I, I have been sort of, I wouldn't say anti jQuery lately, but I've been, uh, I, I certainly have moved to a place where I don't include it by default on any new projects. Yeah, not not your first choice due to the size. Lar- largely due to the size, isn't it? Yep. Yeah, exactly. There's so much... Um, there's enough, I should say. There's not so much, but there's enough legacy code in it that I don't care about that um, I tend not to include it. I mean, to be honest, I don't include almost any... can't think of any library I include on a regular basis. Um, pretty much write everything from scratch... Because that means that you get the absolute leanest, meanest um, code base uh, at the end of the day. So, you know, like jQuery, even if you use Zepto, for example, or underscore or any of these, they, they are, by definition, they have code in it that is for sort of general purpose use. And odds are good that I wouldn't even be using like large pieces of it. (laughs) Right. Like, I wouldn't use any, I would never use jQuery animations, for example. Yeah. Or um, I would never use this entire CSS module. I'd just never do it. I usually use, like, if I use jQuery, it's it's almost always, it's for Ajax. Mm-hmm. It's for class manipulation, like has class, toggle class, add class, remove class. Yeah. Uh, and uh, DOM traversal. Yeah, this is a, this is pretty much the same things I use it for. Yeah, and the selector engine, obviously. Yeah. So, it's like four things, and you know, it's like I don't know what is it like thirty k twenty twenty four k or something. Yeah, thirty four. I think maybe. Yeah, I mean, and the code that I usually end up writing for a given application is like four. <laughs> you know, it's like not that much. So. But, you know, we've got this, got this, I actually have, I'm working on a couple of large scale projects that are ultimately going to get hosted on WordPress. 
and sort of responsive des- redesigns hosted on WordPress. And there's, you know, a long-term consideration about handing off the code and, uh, you know, long-term maintainability by the internal teams. And they, they've got other things to do that you know, than just maintain JavaScript. They're doing all sorts of development tasks. So they, I'm a little reluctant to write like a completely custom solution because then there is a training consideration, you know, like, like, you know, they have to learn how I thought things should be done in the JavaScript. And that's, that's a non-trivial issue. So, uh, so that's one thing. So I was like, "Mm, I I don't, I I would never include jQuery by default on a project, but I'm kind of considering it because of the long-term maintainability. Every, every average web developer can read jQuery understands how things work. Yeah. Uh, so that was one thing. Another thing is that I, let's say I did go ahead and write like bespoke code to handle everything on the site. And it was, you know, weighed in at say five or 10 K, um, at the end of the day. Now, now time goes on and they include some WordPress plugins, which you know, they're going to, they're going to use all sorts of WordPress plugins Mm -hmm. and lots of WordPress plugins require that you include jQuery in order for them to work. So as time goes on, as soon as that happens, as soon as they include jQuery because they have to, because there's a dependency for a plugin, all of a sudden, all the code that I wrote that essentially mimicked the jQuery behavior becomes redundant. And now they have to include jQuery and my code. Yeah. Then, so that's two things. And then the third thing is that uh, if you look into jQuery, right? I think this is the, the most recent uh, beta is jQuery 2.0 beta 2. And man, let me tell you, they're doing some super smart things uh, with 2.0. And, and those things are, uh, first of all, they're keeping the API. Well, first of all, they're dropping support for IE 6, 7, and 8. So jQuery yep. 2.0 is not being tested in any of those browsers whatsoever. I'm not surprised about 6 at all. I'm not really surprised about 7. 8 kind of surprises me. Yeah. Yep. And I don't I don't know what they based a decision on. Obviously, I I have to assume that it's that that browser is just C, they're essentially I think they're dropping C grade support or D grade support. Yeah. So whatever, you know, that I it just must not rank high enough. Uh, I do know I do know that they consider market share as well, mm-hmm. but I mean IE ten is is it's not I don't think it's out, but it's uh, available as a beta, right? I mean, I don't know if ten's out or not. Uh, I can't keep track of it, but uh, you know, so but I know that the I'm pretty sure it's oh Christ, I don't know. But I do, the thing that I do know is that uh, developers are kind of raving about how good. Yeah, it's out. Ten is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. End of February. Gotcha. Okay, so recently released. Yeah. And people like they and it's it's become way more standards friendly. So like I I just read that they don't that it's not doesn't even support conditional comments. Can you imagine? Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't. <laughs> it's like wow i i on the one hand i'm very excited about that but on the other hand i'm scared <laughs> i know because <laughs> you get that one thing yeah. that one thing that ie 10 still doesn't support right they removed no the, way to target it now right so so well fe- regular feature detection so you know anyway so yeah uh so the 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 point is that jQuery is, is jettisoning, jettisoning a whole bunch of code that uh, was irrelevant to me for mobile development uh, because, you know, you're not going to get IE6 on a phone. You're not going to get IE7 or even IE8 on a phone. Yeah. Um, you know, so if you're doing like a mobile, an dot site, it's just totally irrelevant. Um. But if you're doing a responsive site, then you kind of have to consider it. So that's one thing. So the code base is getting smaller. Um, if you do have to support IE old or old IE, let's call it, 
um, you can use conditional comments to include jQuery 1.9, which they're going to continue to maintain and has the exact same API as jQuery 2.0. So if you have uh, one of these older browsers, which by definition is a desktop browser and therefore less resource constrained than a phone, uh, they will get the larger jQuery include, but all of your code built on top of it should execute properly. So I thought that was super clever. Yeah, that is. That's nice. What's the um what's the file size on 2.0, do you know? It's it's uh, I don't know if this is the right way to say this, but it's less smaller than I was hoping. <laughs> <laughs> it's smaller than 1.9, but it's not like drastically smaller. Yeah. So I wouldn't say it's it's not half the size, but I would say it's like 20% smaller. Yeah. But I'm glad you asked because you can also use uh, Grunt, which is sort of a, a, comp a compiler for web apps written by uh, Ben Allman, AKA Cowboy, that uh, you can, you basically set flags like, uh, it's like you almost make a custom version of uh, jQuery that only uses the things that you want. So you could say, uh, you know, I don't know the syntax, but it's like Grunt jQuery, uh, with Ajax, with um, DOM traversal, with, oh, the other thing is event binding. That's the other thing yeah. I use jQuery for. Uh, event binding. You just include the things that you want, and you can really crunch down the size. Yeah. So it's, it's modular out enough. All, leave out all the animation yeah. stuff. All the CSS stuff, all the animation yeah. stuff, um, a bunch of stuff. So you can... so so you know, back to the client situation, it's like, wow, you know, go with jQuery 2.0, include 1.9 in conditional comments for older desktop browsers. And, and if you're, if you're really worried about it, do a custom build of right. just the things you need. Right. And it's like, geez, you know, and if the future they need jQuery, they've got it. And if they need to, to have a, you know, make a new custom build, then that's not the end of the world. But they don't have to. They don't have to like call me back and hire me to. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Yeah. The, and it. I don't know. It just seems like a really, really um, elegant and extremely practical approach for like moving moving forward with responsive web design. So I'm really, really pretty excited about that. Yeah, this is I'm I'm excited about it too because this is one area where you and I have kind of had different opinions because I tend to be a lot more willing to just add jQuery to a project than than you are. Mm -hmm. Um <laughs> just because for the things that I use it for it makes doing those things so easy. Right. And so the idea the idea of being able to do a custom build I find really appealing um like right now um we have jQuery in in our application, and I've actually I've thought about replacing it with Zipto just because Zipto's smaller mm -hmm. and um, significantly, it's yeah. way smaller. Yeah, way smaller. And we we have it in there, and the mainly what I'm using it for is AJAX because everything else is event binding through Knockout. Ah, interesting. So, I've I've thought about some. Um, uh, and I thought about um, switching it up for Zepto. Initially, I had jQuery in there because uh, before this was a mobile web app, it was our original intent was to do a phone gap application. Mm -hmm. And so file size wasn't as big of a concern because mm -hmm. you know, everything's going to be packaged in the, in the phone gap app. Right, so you don't and have to transfer yeah. it. Yeah, and then we just decided to go ahead and go ahead and, and go mobile web with it instead of instead of just straight to phone gap mm. so smart i'm a fan of that approach <laughs> <laughs> yes i am i am too yeah so so yeah the the big jquery file was kind of a kind of a leftover from that that i are and jquery is the bulk of our, of our javascript so mm. yeah i mean i love jquery i i i when i stopped using it i missed it for sure yeah uh, but you can write much more concise code without it. But, you know, you end up... The, the thing with jQuery, <laughs> I, I, tweeted the, I tweeted a couple of days ago, like, note to self, my code will never 
be as well tested as jQuery is. <laughs> because I came yeah. across this, but did you see this? I came across this bug report where someone determined that uh, event handling was borked if you moused over a link and used the scroll wheel then the the target the target element of the scroll was not the link but the text node within the link <laughs> so <laughs> yeah you're like, not you're not going to do that no no but the jquery team caught it and fixed it yep so i mean jquery is awesome jquery is the is was the thing that made me stop hating JavaScript and avoiding learning it. You know what I mean? And I'm yeah. sure that's true for lots of people. Like yeah. JavaScript back in the, in the, like around 2000, I was like, this is a joke <laughs> learning yeah. this. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I have to do like this huge branching conditional to do a, like a basic little DOM manipulation no not doing that get your act together and get back to me yeah <laughs> yeah and then jquery didn't come out until 2006 so it was like i was like twiddling my thumbs for six years <laughs> learning php basically learning php i'm like well i'm doing this on the server side javascript is stupid <laughs> <laughs> so yeah yeah, I, I like jQuery a lot, so I tend to <laughs> tend to um, be a lot. It's it's pretty easy to convince me that it's okay to include jQuery. Yeah, no, I I would love to just like yeah. feel comfortable slapping it in to any given project because yeah. it, it just gets you started so fast. Uh, and I, and I'm really not a fan of. I love the fact that it's not a pushy framework. Mm -hmm. Like Sentia Touch is a very pushy framework. Like, this is the way... Like, you will do it our way. You There's only one way to... It's like our way or the highway. And, you know, it enforces structure on you, which is a good thing in the long term. But it's it's not... I don't know. It's like overkill for small projects, which is the kind of stuff... I, I mean, most stuff... To, I just feel like most stuff is a small project. Yeah. Like, I'm working for huge, huge, like, client... Like, the biggest clients in the world. And they're still small projects. Yeah. It's not like a huge coding exercise. It's more like red tape and, and, and bureaucracy that's the problem. Or con the content is another problem. Yeah. You know, in the CMS and all that. But the actual coding, it's not rocket science. No, it's all the all the planning that has to happen beforehand. Yeah, exactly. And getting buy-in and all that. But the, the actual, you know, it's, I mean, my secret is out. <laughs> <laughs> The code part is the easy part. That's the fun part. Yeah. And so, so yeah. So uh, very happy to see jQuery like looking like a viable solution because I just love to slap it in there and forget about all that stuff. Yeah, yeah it's nice. I'm I'm definitely gonna have to look into 2.0 and and the whole build process. Hmm. Yeah, I just read the. I haven't tried it. I read the docs. Looks pretty simple. No big deal. So yep. it should be good. Did I just mention content? You did mention content. Yeah. I wonder if, I, I wonder, um, last week and a couple of recent shows, we've really been getting on the, uh, getting on the, um, wearables Mobile bandwagon. Devices, wearables, yes. Yeah. And, uh, they just, there's just more announced every week. Uh, there's a couple of really cool announcements. Um, one is that, you know, the, the Apple is, is widely rumored to be working on the iWatch. And apparently that rumor has gained so much gravity that Samsung... Other companies are now competing. Yeah, right. Samsung <laughs> announced that they're working on one too. Yeah. Even though Apple never announced that they were. <laughs> but we are too. Uh, so basically people are, are gearing up for another patent lawsuit. I guess, yeah. No, we, yeah, <laughs> we, we started first. So I was I was looking into that a little bit uh, and seeing if there were any designs or anything that Samsung had released, and I didn't find any. Uh, and obviously Apple hasn't either because it's just rumor status. But the uh, mm -hmm. the Pebble Watch, which was wildly, I think the most successful project on Kickstarter to date, uh, started shipping. And I have a couple of friends who have received theirs already. 
Um, yeah, you, you backed that, didn't you? I can't remember. I cannot remember. I ordered one, but I can't remember if I backed it. Ah. So I don't think I did. Because there, there's a fatal flaw with the watch is that it has to have a phone. Right. That, I it's, hate it's that. It's like a glorified notification center. Yeah, it's like the notification center yanked out of your phone and put on your wrist. Which I'm sure has its advantages. Or actually, you know what it's more like? It's more like a Bluetooth headset attached to your wrist. Hmm. And that's not what I want. But okay, that's what we got for now. Um, so, uh, I you know it's got a e ink display. No one knows what the Apple one will be. Um, no one knows what the Samsung one will be. But as I was sort of go- googling around to see what I could find out, I came across the uh, Sony has a smartwatch. I didn't. Even, I totally missed this. But they have a a touchscreen uh, smartwatch that's it looks it looks more LED than e ink, mm-hmm. um, but it's touchscreen. It's kind of it's a kind of a lot like that little delicious looking iPod Nano that we both have. Yes, the square one. Uh, yes, and it, it's pretty good looking, and it's about a hundred and fifty bucks. I considered buying it, but it uh, I can't remember. I think it's. It Bluetooths to, I think, Android phones. And it's the same sort of thing. Like, you can control the music player, and you can see notifications. And if somebody leaves you a message, you can tap to call them, and it's, it makes your phone call them. And I was like, oh, dude, he's going to talk into it like Dick Tracy. <laughs> but he pressed play, and then he pulled his phone out. I mean, oh, he, he pressed call and pulled his phone out. It's a shame. Yeah, I'm looking at the Sony Watch now. It, it does look a lot like an iPad, an iPod, iPod Nano. <laughs> yeah. It's not, it's not. No, it's not a bad looking. It's not bad looking. Yeah, it's maybe a little smaller. Yeah. Which is, you know, as far as I'm concerned, too small, right? So, so the thing is that it seems like, I have a feeling that they're going to be, this is going to be like the Christmas, for the Christmas season. Mm. Like this, like, Apple has, has failed me before in terms of like how quickly they move, but I wouldn't be super surprised if like the the christmas present this year they lined up for uh you know the holiday season had these smart watches announced because they're not gonna release a new phone yeah and they have to release something they always release something yeah i'm betting i'm betting it's either gonna be that or it's gonna be um ipad mini with retina display yeah you're right that would be a good one you know what i side side note i don't I, i don't know if they'll do a retina on the mini because it's it is higher pixel density than, mm-hmm. than the iPad two because it's just physically smaller. Yeah. So I wonder. That's true. If, it is. Yeah, I wonder if they'll do. I mean, I. So here's the thing. I don't. I wouldn't be surprised if they didn't do a Retina display on the Mini at a full double pixel resolution because that would be absurd. That would be like. <laughs> yeah. It'd be like five hundred four four or five hundred pixels per inch. No, I can see them doing this the same. The same pixel density as the as a larger Retina display, but right. not not double the the ten twenty four by seven or the yeah what is it ten twenty four by seven sixty eight yeah the iPad yeah yeah so the ten, the large so but here's the thing if they don't double the pixels they're gonna have all sorts of other problems oh yeah that does does create problems right it? because they're like like there's a reason why the iPhone five they kept the same width. Because they yep. didn't want to screw all the app developers, and they didn't want to blow it up, everything up, like zoomed out like ten percent. So they said, they said, all right, uh, what, what we'll do is we'll keep the width the same. I'm just guessing this, of course, I have no idea, but that we'll keep the width the same. We'll make it taller, and until uh, developers update their apps, we'll just black bar the top and bottom. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I honestly think that this is a, it's a case of Apple kind of being beholden to this massive app ecosystem that they created. So obviously the apps is a great thing for them, but it, it kind of, it brings a lot of baggage with it. It kind of, kind of limits the amount of innovation they can do mm-hmm. on, on those types of devices. Right. Right. Cause I mean, I've been living with an iPhone five for like a month now mm-hmm. and it's it size wise, it's the worst of both possible worlds <laughs> because it's, it's narrow 
so the typing is still painful. Yeah. Compared to like uh, my Lumia 920 Windows Phone, which yeah, is like it's... you know 4.7 inch screen. It's like a tank. Yeah. Uh, but I, you know, so you still have that sort of narrow width, which feels pretty good in your hand. But I can't quite reach the top navigation with, mm. with my thumb. So it's like, well, if this phone is a little bit a little bit uncomfortable to use with one hand, you should have at least made it wider. Yeah. So that I have more real estate to work with and I'd have a bigger target area down in the, the, the lower 48, so to speak. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, compared to... Um, I remember when I was complaining about the Lumia 920 being like tough to use with one hand and therefore I could never use it as my main phone. Mm-hmm. Well, the iPhone's just as hard to use with one hand, but there's less screen. Yeah. So it's like... Yeah, it's like I, I have a 4S, and I, I really like the 4S. Mm-hmm. To me, to me, that's the size and size and weight and everything of it. Yeah, it's like... I, it's a trade-off. Like, the, yeah. the, the size of phone that fits in your pocket and fits your hand most comfortably is a little bit too small screen-wise. So you, and honestly, I think four point seven inch diagonal is the sweet spot. Mm-hmm. Not three. It's sure, sure as heck isn't three point five diagonal, which is the original <laughs> iPhone, which seems like it seems like a toy when you look at it now. Yeah. But anyway, we're totally off in the weeds. the The point of uh, the point of the watch conversation is that uh, the Sony, for example, and the Pebble, which are the two that are actually in the market. Uh, are not, they're not like, there's not like a web browser. They're, they're not rendering HTML. It's, yeah. it's just text like, uh, like you'd have on your car stereo display, like LCD style text. So it's assuming that it does catch on and becomes a popular thing. If you're sending notifications to these devices, for example, your, uh, let's say you've got, uh, a podcast, there we go. <laughs> and you have metadata about the audio file, like the the duration, the date, the guests, the, you know, all the stuff. Tags, whatever. Yeah, all that stuff. If, if, it's, if we were storing it in a database or something as HTML or even XML and didn't have a way to send it out as plain text or something more like plain text friendly like Markdown, then what then you're going to get tags showing up on this teeny little screen, you know, which is yeah. certainly not a good user experience. Yeah. If you're, if you're lucky, the device will strip out the HTML format. Uh, yeah. I wouldn't right. I wouldn't count on that though. But yeah. yeah, if you're, but you're right. If you're like, I, I've seen tags on my car stereo radio. Yeah. Yeah. I have, I have two come to think of it. Mm-hmm. Well, not not ours because our car stereo was made in like 1992. But I've seen it on rental cars we have paid money for. <laughs> yeah, so you know, uh, and and this the the watches are just the next, just the next wave. They're just gonna keep coming. Mm-hmm. I love yeah. that video you sent with the uh, the the new, the rethink of the keyboard. Yeah, was it Minium? Um, I, I think it's pronounced minuum, mm. like continuum, but mini. Yeah, mini. Yeah, you want to describe that, like a little bit? I don't know if you... Uh, yeah, I'm not in, not totally sure how. Um, it's a <laughs> it's a redesign of like, the keyboard where instead of instead of having like a full QWERTY keyboard, it, the keyboard becomes sort of a sort of a horizontal ribbon, and then they um. They implement some things, um, sort of type ahead, type word recognition, um, sort of, sort of like you might find uh, in Swipe. I don't know if you if you've used Swipe. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that sort of thing. And it also looked like they had um, uh, for for watches and small devices that sort of thing. Um, like they were even showing an example of like of a, a Wiimote. Mm-hmm. Um, where you could do uh, gesture-based uh, key selection, character mm-hmm. selection. Yep, touch touchless gesture-based. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the the cool, I mean, the the brains is all in the algorithm. Yes. And the keyboard is collapsed, like you said, to a single strip, like a ribbon, 
and it's like if you if you they just squashed it so like if you look at the keyboard there's basically three important rows you get the the q row the a row and the z row and they just squish them like collapse them down so like the first key is like qaz the next key is wsx yeah and etc cetera, etc cetera. and the the predictive nature of the algorithm is so good that you know the, you know watching the guy t the the people in the video type it's like crazy fast but the cool thing is that the interface is so simple because it's just one strip that you can apply that strip to all sorts of other places. And as long as you, you almost just need to know the percentage of where the person person's finger is in the continuum. <laughs> right. And then it, it can start thinking about what it is that you're trying to type. Yeah. So it would map really well to gestures. It map really well to small displays mm -hmm. or, you know, maybe even like a wristband mm -hmm. or like the guy um, says in the video, a ring. Yeah. Yeah. And I think they even have, they even have one, um, I don't know, I don't think they showed it in the video, but they have an illustration um, there where they're showing, using it um, as, as eye tracking on a pair of glasses. Oh, I didn't see that one, no. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, it, and it totally makes sense. And like yeah. another, at one point, it got super sci-fi in the video where a guy writes on his arm. It, you know, like uh, we've talked about skin put in the past where you you know, tapping on parts of your body mm -hmm. uh, has a distinct, you know, tapping in different places uh, creates distinct uh, sound profiles internally. Um, so the guy just wrote like a, like a little, he wrote the keyboard on his arm. Yeah. And they didn't show this, but he must've calibrated it, you know, one end and the other end by tapping and like the computer knows the sound. Okay. The left side sounds like this, the right side sounds like this. So when he taps in the middle, he must be about 30% of the way between point A and point B. Therefore, that's a D. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, so he literally, but, he brought I a mean, keyboard on his arm in like, th you know, a minute, <laughs> and then he's typing on his arm. Yeah, yeah. If if that's, if that part of it, I have no doubt that they have the the actual keyboard app working. But if, if that's um, all the gesture tracking and eye tracking and, and sensing and things like that is is for real and, and not vaporware at this point, mm -hmm. then that's, that's going to be amazing. Mm. It's, I, I, I feel the same way, but for some reason I think it's not vaporware because the, the key thing that they did is they collapsed a 2d plane. So like, if you think of a yes. keyboard, it's basically a 2d plane. They collapsed it to 1d. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like, I feel like it's probably all of, all of those implementations of it probably, already do or are very close to to existing as well because like there's no doubt they have they have an app they have an algorithm and the main the main thing with the software is that algorithm mm -hmm. and if you have your algorithm good enough then everything else is pretty much just measuring yeah exactly so yeah like i could imagine a javascript implement implementation of it yeah so, it, so you know the the crazy stuff is like okay that's a english qwerty keyboard what do they do with international and uh, you know there's a whole keyboards a very complicated thing but um uh it was it was just really it was rad so yeah. <laughs> to pull it back to our general theme um things like minimum and the myo wrist armband and uh, and the leap motion controller and go even google glass these things are going to enable a wave of devices that we cannot even imagine right now. Like we will, we can't even, like we can barely even imagine what it's going to be like. So, uh, the, the reason why we're always beating the drum about things like responsive web design and building APIs and having smart, clean content in your, in your, uh, content agno context agnostic content, <laughs> say that 10 times fast. <laughs> is because we're going to have contexts and uh, client applications and like we can't even begin to imagine. So the best thing you can do is just try and be future friendly and not be too, not be too married to any uh, particular platform, not be too overly optimized for WebKit screens that are, you know, 3.7 inches diagonal yeah. and that kind of thing. Uh, so, 
you know, the, and the watch is just a great example. It's like, if you have HTML in your database and you have no, no clean version of your content, not going to the watch. Not, not going on a watch. I want a shoe phone. You don't have a shoe phone. I have a shoe phone. (laughs) I can't sit in my cone of silence and talk on my shoe phone. (laughs) Oh my God. I could use a cone of silence. Let me tell you. (laughs) I would pay money for a cone of silence. Yeah. It's like a war zone over here. Construction is in full, full gear. Yeah, but it's looking good. From the photos I saw, it's looking good. Oh, thanks. Yeah. It is It is amazing how, like, the smallest, like, bit of tile and, like, a new downstairs door. And, I mean, it's, like, radical. A house has yeah. been ripped apart for three months. And, like, and I, I don't want to jinx myself, but tomorrow we're supposed to get the toilet put back in in the Uh-oh. downstairs bathroom. Ooh. I don't know if you have. Are you a, a single bathroom no, household? No, we are. We are a two bathroom household. That's what I thought. Yeah. We we are a we are very much a two bathroom household, but we've been down to one for three months. I'm sorry. It's 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 not good. Yeah, like every time, like like my dad's house is there's six people living in the house in one bathroom. And so every time you go over there, it's like, you have to line up. <laughs> yeah. It's just yeah. not good. It's not good at all. So I'm very excited about that. Not only that, but it's a huge upgrade from the old bathroom. we got the anti slam seat. Ah, yes. Did you, um, did you extend that out? Like the back of the house out farther? Or was I just like, looking at something wrong in the photos uh we did not extend anything out in fact the bathroom is is a foot smaller than it was before because we Mm. built a pantry on the on the outside of it the kitchen side that might have been what i was seeing and i did a thinking yeah one of the things i love about the iphone 5 is the panorama photography which might be the picture you saw which kind of distorts the perspective Uh, but it gets yeah it might have been that but yeah the the new bathroom is going to be like super duper I'll have to, I'll have to come to your house and, and pee. <laughs> <laughs> Please do. We're gonna have a a bathroom warming party. <laughs> that's Just, that's. Wait a minute, you laugh, but <laughs> in the middle of a sixty three hour Greyhound bus ride, on the way from Calgary, Alberta, to Moorhead, Kentucky, we stopped at a bus station in Billings, Montana. Went into the restroom, and I kid you not, there were signs inviting you to come back in August when they and see their newly renovated bathrooms. <laughs> and that, dear listener, <laughs> is our show for this week. <laughs> I'm Jonathan Stark. I'm Kelly Shaver. And we hope you join us again next week for the 50th episode of the Niche Podcast with the world-renowned Ethan Marcotte. (laughs) Talk to you then. Happy flushing. Yeah. Power flush technology. (laughs) (laughs) Bye. Bye.